Amen. Thank you for being here at the early end. Good-looking crowd this morning, and uh, I'm excited about what the Lord is doing. Let me join uh, Pastor Ken in saying a hearty, hearty thank you uh, for going to the well two weeks in a row above and beyond tithe, and that is two weeks ago um, uh, we received a, an offering for Pastor Josh and Pastor Ken. You remember we had moved Pastor Josh to the executive pastor role and Brother Ken to the life group's pastor role, which he was serving in. And we just wanted to honor them for, you know, 25 years of service, 10 years of service, et cetera, et cetera. And you gave $2,500, almost just shy of that, to be split among them two weeks ago. We rarely ever do anything like that. So thank you so much. And I know that was a blessing to them. And then I don't normally like to, uh, to come back and just say, you know, because people always think the church, all they want is your money. And that is just not the case here. I thank you for your giving and what you do. Um, but there are so many things we do to hand back to the community. We just um, uh, constantly buying gifts that we just give away. Constantly doing ministry that we, as a matter of fact, one of our life groups, Brother West's group was serving this week, just giving back. Uh, had his life group working out in the yards and serving and doing life together, and we, we believe in that. But thank you for what you gave to the Louisiana uh, effort. That, that was just incredible. My mouth just hit the, my desk, and especially to know that not only did we give them $4,500, we met the weekly budget as well. Amen? And that in and of itself is no joke, and so um, just God bless you. And uh, thank you so much for doing that. And um, now we come to this wonderful time in the service, and, and I don't know, God has just blessed us so much. And, uh, and, le and let me just say this uh, as in, relation to the, or in regards to those offerings, though. Uh, our general overseer, Dr. Tim Hill, wanted me to express to you his deep and sincere gratitude for what you have done for the people of Louisiana. And uh, that money left here the very next day electronically to the Church of God headquarters earmarked for Louisiana, uh, the disaster relief. And so I want to thank you. And we did not want it hanging around here in our hands. We wanted it gone and put where we said it was going to be. And that's where it is. And he said to tell you thank you. And uh, then I also bring you greetings yesterday or no Friday. I had an opportunity to spend most all day with our new state administrative bishop and uh, uh, I'm excited about uh, what he's bringing to the table for our next uh, four years here in our state. So if you're a credentialed minister, we're going to be meeting on the 17th of September. That's a Saturday night at 7 o'clock. All right, let me get now to this um, today, the business at hand. If you don't know me, I'm Mike Sainz. I'm lead pastor here. Can't believe it, but it's been 21 years. Uh, August was 21 years. Kelly and I have been here in Camden County, and so um, I've else in my whole life and so unless the Lord says differently I plan to die here amen and so I don't know how that's gonna go I might plan that and then he change everything but nonetheless we started a YOLO series and yes I had to have an interpretation because I said to my son Adam I said well man who in the world's gonna know what that means and he said well everybody under 40 will know and I said well I'm you know knocking on 50 in just a few weeks here and so you better give me an interpretation he said well you only live once I said, well, that's true. And so two weeks ago, I preached a message entitled Getting Out of Your Comfort Zone, and that was powerful, and I urge you to go back to harborwc.com or go to youtube.com, look up the Harbor Worship Center, 
And when you see our logo, subscribe to the channel there. You can go back and listen or watch all of what we've done, and we're trying to improve that as time goes by. And then last week, we come back and preached a message about the prodigal son entitled, The Life I Wanted. And so today, if the Lord would help me, I want to, I'm not going to revisit those messages, but I do want to point to getting out of your comfort zone, and I want to point to the life that I wanted. In a message that I will preach today, the last of the series in YOLO, and it is entitled, Here Am I, Lord, Send Me. Here am I, Lord, send me. Now, I want you to know that we around here are big on serving. Amen. If you've been here more than 30, 40 minutes, we've probably asked you what you do. I mean, are, are, are you a computer programmer? Do you drive a tractor? Can you hang sheetrock? What is it that you do? Are you a counselor, et cetera, et cetera? Because we believe that people who love the Lord want to work for the Lord. And so today I'm wearing red, and my wife said, well, honey, you don't have a whole lot of choice in red attire. Uh, so she went in there and said, here's a red shirt, so we'll just do something with this. And I said, well, that's good. Um, I thought about maybe wearing red underwear, but I said, that ain't going to work. Ain't nobody going to know that. But I'm only teasing y'all. But I got you listening now, don't I? So anyway, um, so, so red, and, and it's easy to remember our vision. About two and a half years ago, we just decided to just get real serious about what God had called us to do. And it's not that I wasn't serious. I was just ignorant before and didn't know that I need to put it quite as plain because Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, you know, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I'm with you always. And so I said, that's the commission. That's what God's told us to do. But the Lord, through a conference in South Carolina, said to me, no, 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 write down the vision as to why you exist where you are and why people ought to become a part of this body of Christ and this movement. And so I come back from that conference myself and Pastor Adam, Pastor Josh, and for weeks we sat at a round ta or an oblong table in that conference room, and we, we wore out that right and white board and just over and over and over with writing and rewriting and scratching it out and writing again. We finally, I, I probably read every major pastor's vision all over the country, and I said, I don't want to be a cookie cutter of anybody else. I want to know what God is saying to us right here. And I come to this conclusion, and we agreed upon this conclusion. We finally wrote it in stone and said, this is what God has called us to do. And it is to reach, to educate, and to deploy. So we reach people wherever they are. It doesn't matter if they're in the gutter. It doesn't matter if they're high or if they're drunk or they're in an awful relationship or a backwards relationship. Uh, it doesn't matter. We reach for people, period. And when we reach them for Jesus Christ, we educate them at whatever level that maybe they can't read. We want to help them learn to read. Maybe they don't know anything about the Bible. We want to help them with their biblical knowledge. Maybe they know a lot about the Bible. We want to help them further that. So we reach them, and then we educate them, and then it's not enough to reach people and educate them if we don't in turn send them back out. 
One of the things, and I'm qualified to say this because I've been in the church of God most of my life. We've done a good job of reaching people and writing down numbers of converted people that gave their heart to Jesus in an altar. They cried real tears. They meant what they said. But then the church let them fall through the cracks because we did not prepare them for ministry and service and deploy them into the kingdom of God. Here's the truth. If people are not doing something in the church, something in the kingdom, you've got about 90 to 120 days, and they'll move on. So uh, let, me, let me ask you a question. What are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your life? Has perhaps God called you to do something that you've not answered that call yet? And, and you know, if God calls you to do something, then, then there's qualifications. There's sometimes things you've got to step through. Sometimes you criteria you got to meet. I remember Wednesday night I was uh, speaking and I was talking about the children of Israel, how they had come through the desert place, got out of Egypt, come through the desert, come into the, to Canaan land and Moses had led them all this time and all of a sudden the Bible said Moses died and when he died the Lord come to, um, to Joshua and says, uh, Joshua, Moses my servant is dead and now you're in charge. I want you to lead these people, and I'm going to lead you, and I'm going to give you authority and all of that. And, and, you know, he went back to the people, and the people realized that he was indeed the protege of Moses and that God's anointing was upon him. And they said to him in Joshua 1 and 16, whatever you have commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Thank God for people that recognize the anointing upon that great man of God and said, Lord, whatever it is you say, that's what we'll do. Wherever it is you say go, that's where we'll go. Amen. Um, here's what you got to know this morning. If you don't know anything else, you got to understand this. The harvest is now. The harvest is plentiful. I want to tell you, there is so much ministry you know what blows my mind? I learned yesterday we have 900 ministers in South Georgia and 230-something churches. So it seems like there's nothing to do. No, no, no. That means there's a senior pastor for each one of those churches. But let me tell you this. I'm only one particular guy. There is so much ministry going on right here. It takes a whole staff of people and really more than what we've got. That's why we've elected to uh, realign our organizational chart and to add more and more areas of ministry and to try to reach out to others. I want you to know that the harvest is ripe. Let me tell you a little bit about my story. I was, the earliest days of my recollection from the smallest um, uh, memory that I have, the earliest days that I can remember, which would, I guess, be three or four years old, they say, I never can think of a time when I don't, or that I didn't think that I was called to preach the gospel. All my life, I knew that God was calling me. I knew that there would be a day in my life, and I don't know how I knew that. I just, there was, maybe it was because I was the son of an evangelist. I, I'm not sure, but, but I don't ever remember a time where I thought I would do something else. I mean, yes, I had those childhood dreams. I'm going to be a pilot. I'm going to be a policeman. I'm going to be this or that. But, but I always felt like I would preach. And I'll never forget, it was confirmed by the Holy Spirit when I was a freshman in high school, uh, I had been praying and seeking the Lord, and, and I, our youth was on fire at the church, and I was just praying and seeking God and just crying out to the Lord, and I was filled with the Spirit and, and uh, just laying on my bed one night and had a friend of mine come 
tap on my window. He wanted me to sneak out and go get in some mischief with him. And uh, he looked through that window, and there I was just sprawled out on the bed, just crying out to the Lord. And, man, he said, man, I don't know what in the world you were talking, but uh, uh, there was something going on in that room. I don't know, but I had goosebumps on me, and, and my friend was lost as, you know, could be. Well, he come to church with me the next week, sat right there. Not in this building, but right there. Oh, Pastor Darrell Glass, he's gone on to be with the Lord now in 2005. But he was preaching, and he gave us altar call, and he was one of the greatest preachers that ever graced the pulpit. And I'll never forget, I'd only been in his church for three weeks. I didn't even know he knew my name. But he looked at me and said, Michael, come here. And I said, I was kind of scared, you know, and half afraid not to get up. And so I eased over there to him, and he laid his hand on me and began to prophesy. And he said something like this, the Lord has saw you in the wee hours of the night crying out to him, calling on the Lord. God is preparing you for something. One day you will step out and carry the gospel and hundreds and hundreds of people will come to know. And, and my friend over there, his eyes about that big around because he went to church with me and he asked me after church, how in the world did he know all about that in the middle of the night? And all I can say is it's a spiritual thing. I don't know. Holy Spirit knows everything. You know, I was, I don't know, 13, 14, 15 years old, something like that. And so, uh, so God was calling me, and that was the first official confirmation that a man of God had, had confirmed what I had always thought. So you know what I did? I'd done what all good people do, and I ran from the Lord. <laughs> and so now I'm a junior in high school, and, and God sends a 17-year-old kid that our pastor met at South Georgia camp meeting. He was from Kissimmee, Florida. Reggie Spires was his name. He come, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, what's this cat guy? He's a couple years older than me, maybe, or one year. And I want to tell you something. This cat preached like no other. And our entire youth group left the back of the church and came to the front of the church and stayed there for many years. Many of those right now are pastors. Many of them are youth pastors, some, some counselors, some teachers. God done wonderful, wonderful things. But in that revival, through tongues and interpretation in the altar, he told me almost verbatim what the pastor had told me two years ago. Scared me to death. So I went on and finished my next year, which was my senior year. I graduated on June the 2nd, got married on June the 30th, joined the Air Force on December 29th, and left April the 15th, tax day of two, uh, 1985. Wow. Where's time going? And so I left, and here I am, gone, man. I'm in Texas, don't know a living soul, and, and, and thought I had joined the Air Force and was doing a great thing to make a little bit more money, and God says, no, 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 I've got you out here where you don't know nobody so I can finally get your attention. I can talk with you now, and by the light of an exit sign, I would read my Bible at night. Are you with me? And God would just begin dealing with me, and he would say things like, you can run all over the world, and I'll be there when you get there. Uh, and so I'll never forget, I got on this quest to know God, this quest to say, I mean, because I knew about Jonah and the well. I, I grew up in church. I could, in a Bible drill, I would smoke you, man, because I could find it just that quick. We used to set chairs back to back. Somebody would call out a scripture, Philippians 4, 19, bam, I'm there. Genesis 2 and 12, bam, I'm there. I had people didn't even have a clue where at in the Bible it was. But I could get there. I could quote all the books, and I had all that, but but I was still running from God. And so I got on this quest. I came back to, 
And my dad, you know what my dad told me? I wanted to go to all the Florida bases, you know, uh, Homestead Air Force Base, uh, Mc, uh, McDill Air Force Base, Eglin, you know, Fort Walton Beach, uh, Tyndall, Panama City Beach. Ah, oh, man, I'm headed down south. And, or Charleston Air Force Base, Pope, Seymour Johnson, something along the South Carolina border, you know, and all of that. My dad said, well, son, I'm praying that God will send you to Moody Air Force Base, Georgia. Now, you got to think, I'm at Shepherd Air Force Base. I've been there almost nine weeks or six weeks at this time. i got to stay a total of nine. Orders come down that day. I'm shaking in my boots, scared, because all my buddies are going to Japan and Germany. And I'm saying, Lord, please don't let them tell me something like Kadena, Japan, or, you know, and all that. And all of a sudden, Saints, Michael David, Moody Air Force Base, Georgia. I joined to aim high and go a long way, and I went three hours from home. <laughs> That'd be like joining the Navy and coming back to Kings Bay, right? And so here I am. You know, uh, I get stationed there, and, and I've been raised in church, and, and I, I, I go to church. I made it my business. I didn't move to Valdosta to find the church. I was there the first Sunday. You know why? The boxes could stay packed in the hallway. Preach, preacher. All right. The boxes could stay packed in the kitchen, but I had to do what I knew was priority. That's go to church. You know who I met at church? Didn't have no idea. I met my pastor, Daryl Glass, who had prophesied over me as a freshman. His mother was the first lady I met in the Forest Street Church of God in Valdosta, Georgia. I took it as a sign and said, this is where I'm supposed to be, and that's where I stayed for six years. What I'm saying is I went on a quest. I began to read the Bible. I mean, from Genesis all the way through. Now, I'm going to tell you, Leviticus is some hard reading if y'all if just now new to the Bible. The Levitical law is tough, but I'm reading through there, and, I, and I'm just plowing through it. 45 minutes a night, I'm reading. I'm just going through it. Kelly's done got mad. She's done gone to bed. I'm reading. And uh, all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me one night, and I'm reading, and I'm doing all this, and he said, you ain't never going to be happy until you do what I've called you to do. And, you know, I said, well, Lord, what is it you're talking about? What? And then I heard the word of the Lord speak to me just as clear as I'm, I'm speaking to you. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 1. I said to myself, because I was raised in church, but I didn't know what all the Bible said. I said, Lord, if Jeremiah chapter 1 don't have anything to do with preaching the gospel, I'll never entertain that thought again the longest day I live. I turned to Jeremiah chapter 1, and Jeremiah said, Oh, Lord God, I cannot speak, for I am a child. And the Lord said, Don't say that I am a child, for thou shalt speak. You shall go to all that I send thee. And then he touched him and said, I have put my words in thy mouth. Do not be afraid of their faces. I am with thee. I will go with thee and make you a prophet unto the nations. Man, I got shaking in my shoes, man. I had me a fit right there on the carpet in the living room floor. I got up from there. I mean, eyes almost swole shut. I'm bawling. I went and woke Kelly up, and she's mad because I woke her up. And I'm trying to tell her, God has called me to preach. She said, well, you knew that a few years ago. You just wouldn't answer it. You was running. And now I ain't ready to go. I was ready back then. And it wasn't that easy. But I said, you know what? I cannot escape what God has put in my heart. And so, long story short, um, I decided 
that this is what I've got to do. So listen, what you've got to do, you've got to know that the harvest is ripe. And, and, and here's what Jesus said about the harvest. I, I told you a little bit of my, about my story, and some of you probably have your own stories when it relates to what God has called you to do. That's just a brief tidbit of what God did for me. I think about Matthew chapter 9. In verse 35, when Jesus went through the villages and the towns, he was teaching in their synagogues, and he was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He was healing all the disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, the Bible said he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, here it is in verse 37, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I want to tell you something. The harvest right here in Camden County if we could reap that harvest right now, we'd have to build churches. I know they're on every corner because this guy got mad with that guy, and they got mad with Aunt Susie, and, and, and you know, and my uncle's a deacon, and we can't drink no more, and all this, and so we all done our own thing. But Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. In other words, there's plenty of lost people out there, but there's not enough people that's willing to work. There's not enough people that's willing to get their hands dirty. There's a lot of people that want titles, but they don't want towels. And so, listen, what you have to know about this is um, the reason it's important to know that is because time is slipping through the hourglass. I preached a message one time uh, about time, and I put a large Big Ben clock that you wind up. You remember the one that will scare you out of your mind when it rings? you got the two big bells on top like a fire alarm. And, and man, I set that thing. I, I just wound that thing up and preached, and I set an alarm so that thing would go off. That was going to represent the rapture. You'd be surprised how many people thought they was left. I'm simply saying that time is going through the hourglass, and time is a precious commodity. It is, it is, we only have so much. And you know, I remember uh, a number of years ago, Adam and I used to skydive every Saturday morning. And a number of Brother Eddie Martinez and Dan Dixon and uh, Todd Carter, uh, it, it was our routine. Every Saturday morning over the Atlantic somewhere, we were jumping out of an airplane. And we would open the parachute as soon as we left the airplane, fly around for 10 or 12 minutes, and it was just gorgeous. And that, somebody asked me one day, said, well, why is that that you do that every Saturday morning? Why do you go do that? I said, because I've only got so many sunrises left. And with every day, it's less. And with every day, it's less. And what I'm saying is this, you and I only have so many opportunities left. You say, well, Pastor, we're going back to Guatemala. Yeah, we're going in March. You know why? Because we've only got so many years left. And we don't even know if we got a year. We don't even know if we got a day. We don't even know what, what tomorrow holds. But I know this. It is a limited amount of time. And time is a precious commodity. And we've only got a small amount. And so what we have to do is work with what we have. Because you never know when it's gone. I want to take you to Acts chapter number 1. I believe it is chapter oh no, number 9. I'm sorry. Acts chapter 9. And I want to show you the Apostle Paul. The Bible says the Apostle Paul, um, we see him in Acts chapter 9. He said, Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out threatenings and murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest and he asked for him letters to the synagogues in Damascus. Uh, next verse. Uh, so if he found anyone there who belonged uh, in that way, that he could arrest them, that 
whether they were men or women, they could take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he got close to Damascus uh, on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice that said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? The next words was, who are you? And then he calls him who he is, Lord. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless, but they heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, and when he had uh, opened his eyes, he couldn't see anything. So they led him into Damascus. Now, here's what I want to tell you about this. Saul is on his way. His name is Saul. Somebody say Saul. He's on his way uh, to persecute Christians. He's got a letter. He can, he can bind them. He can torture. He can kill. Matter of fact, the earlier chapter, he stood there and watched the clothes of the men that stoned the first councilman of the church. His name was Stephen. He stood there and watched them. But I'm going to tell you something. I believe God planted a seed in Saul of Tarsus' heart while he saw Stephen, who fell down, looked up to heaven. Heaven opened up, and Jesus stood at the right hand of the Father and looked and Stephen cried out and said, don't lay this sin to their charge. I believe God began to soften Saul of Tarsus' heart. Well, something happened that day because when he got knocked off of his horse, he said, uh, who art thou, Lord? Man, I wish that, that light just beaming, uh, the sun just shone right on him, and he said, who are you? And then he knew who he was. His name was Lord. So, um, he began to serve the Lord. He was blind for three days, and then Ananias came to him. Ananias said, Brother Saul, the Lord has sent me to pray for you. Now, you got to first understand this. Ananias was just a layman in a church. Ananias got a word from the Lord that said, I want you to go, and I want you to pray for Saul. He said, Saul, you mean Saul of Tarsus? Yeah, well, wait a minute, Lord. He's the one that's got the letters that give him the authority to persecute and to kill Christians or anyone he finds in the way. Yeah, that's him. He said, I want you to go down there and pray for him for a couple of reasons. Number one, that he might receive his sight. He can't see. He's got scales on his eyes. Number two, that he might be filled with the Holy Spirit. Number three, that you might inform him of the mission that he'll have the rest of his life. So he goes to him reluctantly, I'm sure. He gets to him. Well, you ain't really got to be scared of a man that's stone blind now. Uh, but he goes to him and he says to him, watch this, Brother Saul, <laughs> Brother Saul, the Lord hath sent me to pray for you. He said, well, go ahead. He said, pray for you that you might receive your sight. And the Bible said he laid his hands on him, and immediately, as if scales fell off of his eyes, and he opened his eyes, and he could see for the first time in three days. And, 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 and Ananias said, no, 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 not only that will you see. And he began to prophesy to him and said, this is what the Lord says the rest of your life will be like. Amen. In other words, God laid his hand on him. 
on the Damascus Road that day. God somehow arrested him, and later Paul would say, listen, I have not yet attained that for which I was apprehended, but I press daily toward the mark for the prize of the high call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, in other words, I've not laid hold on yet that for which he laid hold of me. But I'm striving with everything in me. I'm putting my hand to the plow. I am working while it is day because the night is coming and no man can work. He believed in serving. In fact, he served until he died. He told Timothy, his young protege, I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure now is at hand. I have kept the faith. I have fought a good fight, and I'm well, willing now to be offered up henceforth. There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, not only for me, but for all those who love the appearing of the Lord. Let me, let me move on. Um, I, I want to tell you something. Uh, here's the points I wanted to make before I have to land this thing. Paul... Or the Lord said his, you know, anytime the Lord done something really big in somebody's life, I mean, if they were a real bad boy like some of y'all, the Lord changed their name. Huh? His name was Saul, and he said, no, we can't, we can't let you live like that no more. So he, he said, your name will now be Paul. You want another example? His name was uh, Jacob. It meant liar, supplanter, deceiver, heel grabber. And the Lord said, you ain't going to be called liar and deceiver and supplanter no more, but your name shall be called Israel. Hello. Listen. And you know when the Lord changed his name? He asked him, what is your name? And Jacob's kind of like, I wish you wouldn't have asked me that. Because I have to tell you my name, and that literally means I am liar. I am deceiver. I am betrayer, heel grabber. I'm doing all these things. The Lord says, well, now that you've come to the place, you'll admit it no longer. Your name should be called Israel. So let me, let me get back into this vein. Now, since Paul had, or Saul had a conversion on the Damascus Road, and God done something so good in his life, he never got over what happened on the Damascus Road. I'm going to tell you what's wrong with so many of our Christian people today. Listen. Over getting saved. I'll never forget when I walked down an aisle in the first assembly of God in Phoenix City, Alabama, when I was a junior in high school. Charlie Fowler had just finished a masterful message entitled, A Journey through the halls of hell. I'll never forget it the longest day I live when those lights came back on in that auditorium. Kelly and I locked hands and ran to the altar. I just thought I was going to die right then or blow up or something. And God done something. And I'm going to tell you something. From that day to this day, I have never been the same. But how is it we look around and we see people that have become lethargic? We see people that have become apathetic. In other words, unconcerned, unmoved, uh, unwilling, you, 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 silly, lazy, slothful. Why? They have gotten over getting saved. Let me help y'all. On June the 30th of 1984, when I said I do with Kelly, I ain't never quite got over that, and I don't think I ever will. Are you with me? I'm still doing honey-do list. I'm still making payments. Are y'all with me? And I use that as a, a cruel example, so to speak. She's probably thinking, hey, I ain't never got over it either. And I know, I, I know. I'm just simply saying, when I said I do to Jesus, 
That meant something to me. It wasn't just a deep knee bend and right back to my old things. Listen, the Apostle Paul never got over what happened on the Damascus Road. If you look at his story, you're going to find that when he was locked in jail, he told the centurion, hey, let me tell you what happened when I was traveling to Damascus. When he met the governor, Felix, he said, governor, I want to tell you what happened to me on the Damascus Road. When he met the most noble Festus, he said, most noble Festus, let me tell you, what happened to me on the Damascus Road. When he met Nero Claudius Caesar, he said, let me tell you, Nero, what happened on the Damascus Road. The Apostle Paul never got over getting saved. That's why he said this in Acts 21 and 10. Acts 21 and 10, after we had been there a number of days, it's Paul talking. A prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and coming over to us, he took Paul's belt. He took that belt and he done something with it. He tied up his own hands and feet. When he tied his hands and feet, he said, the Holy Spirit says this is what they're going to do to you in Jerusalem. They're going to bind the owner of this belt and hand him over to the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we the people pleaded with Paul, don't go back to Jerusalem. Don't go back to Jerusalem. And Paul answered in verse 13 and said, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord. Paul never got over what happened on the Damascus Road. He said, listen, I'm not only willing to be bound and be put in prison, I'm willing to die there for what he called me to. Lord, help me. Everywhere he went, he never got over. So he said this, when he could not be dissuaded, the crowd looked at him and said, the Lord's will be done. <laughs> the Lord's will. I had people tell me last year, man, why have you gone to Guatemala? You know we had a pastor killed in Guatemala after we come back the last time. Why, why are you going down there? And here's the real deal. Because God said go. The Lord's will be done. You say, well, I'm going to stay here. And stay. Let me say, you can stay right here and get run over by a tractor trailer right here on Highway 40. You can stay here and somebody, if you're a, a, a law officer or not, somebody just pick you off, bam, and go. So you know what? I'm not going to live my life stove up in fear. I'm going to do what God's called me to do. And on the 27th day of March of 2017, if the Lord tarries, I'll be on board an airplane going back to Guatemala to build a house for another pastor who hadn't had one since 2012's earthquake and has been living pillar to post and here and there and everywhere. And I'm going to take a team of at least 12 people with me and we're going to do the work of the Lord. Amen. Let me, let me, uh, he never got over it. Why, why, why do I need to know this, Pastor? Because God's still calling. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you will. There's another story that I could share with you, and I'll just, I don't have time to turn there, but I'll, it's the title of the message, so I probably ought to mention it. Isaiah the prophet had gone to the house of the Lord. I believe it is Isaiah chapter 6. And the Bible said when he got to the house of the Lord, he went in there, and it was, as he was there, he said, 
I had an encounter with God. He said, while I was there, smoke filled the, the house of God. The pillars began to shake. He said, I saw the Lord seated on his throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Listen, did you know in the Orient, the longer the train or the robe, you remember Diana, Princess Diana, she's been dead a long time now, but I remember watching her wedding. Oh, Lord, the train of her dress was just incredible. In many cultures, the longer the train, the more majestic the person wearing the dress or the robe. And Isaiah said, I saw him seated on his throne. And the train of his robe literally filled the temple. And the seraphims flew about and cried, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And Isaiah said, when I saw him, I fell on my face. And I said, woe is me, I'm undone. See, when you get near the holiness of God, you'll realize how wretched you are. We'll realize how, how miserable and how sinful we are the closer we get to him. He said, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among unclean people. And the Bible says an angel or a seraph took tongs from the altar and grabbed a coal of fire and touched his lips and said, your iniquity has been purged away. That's what an encounter with God will do. <laughs> and then he heard the words that said, who will go for us? And who can we send? Coming from the throne, hey. Coming from the throne, who will go for us? And whom can we send? And Isaiah looking, looking up from an altar said, here am I, Lord. You can send me. I'll go. And I want to know today, as I close this YOLO series, and we're talking about reaching and educating and deploying, we're doing everything we can to reach, educate, and deploy. And we've reached some great people. We've educated some great people. And we've deployed some great ones. But I wonder this. On everybody's seat, there's a card there. But before I do that, I just... I've got a little bit of time. I want to do this. If you say, Pastor, I'm willing to be deployed in ministry. I'm willing to, like Isaiah, lift my hand and say, I'll go. While heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just lift your hand right up. And, can I get you to sing that song, Adam? 